Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. <clears throat> I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet, saying, Write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, this morning we, um, as every week, we come to you in humility because we do not claim to have the way for life in and of ourselves. There's this voice inside of us that says, go certain ways, but we know, Lord, that your way is the way of truth. And so we look now to your word of truth to inform us, to help us to change the way we think, to help us to change the way we behave. And so, Lord, we submit to it as humble sons and daughters of yours, as a part of your family. We want to hear from our Father. And this is your direct communication to us. So help us to listen this morning. Help us to understand it. And then to apply it to our lives. And we'll give you all the praise and glory for this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. <coughs> and we come now uh, to the beginning of John's prophecy to some local churches. And they're local churches that were on the mainland. You remember that John at this point, he's on uh, exiled on the island of Patmos. And uh, there's, it's about a 50 kilometer stretch from there onto the mainland uh, where all the seven churches were. And so John is now um, uh, going to be speaking to these churches as he has been directed uh, by Jesus Christ. Now this section of scripture is actually quite remarkable in many different ways, but I, I want to highlight one that uh, may be overlooked and maybe sometimes is overlooked by scholars and uh, people reading it. What Jesus is doing here is he's showing an intimate connection and concern for individual churches. Revelation chapters 1 through 3 is not about some kind of general uh, teaching on doctrine or theology that we're supposed to understand. No, these chapters are about a deep concern that Jesus has for specific churches, living in a specific context, dealing with specific problems. In chapter 1 here, the churches are revealed as lampstands. Verse 12, it says, And I turned to see the one who was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And verse 20, at the end of verse 20, it describes what those lampstands are. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So lampstands, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so now we need to know where is Jesus in regards to these lampstands. We pick it up in verse 13. In the middle of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man. This is a quote from Daniel 7. It's talking about Jesus Christ. And so where is Jesus? Jesus is in the middle of these lampstands. Jesus is not observing what's going on in these churches. He is actually in the middle of them. And as such, he has an intimate concern for each and every individual church, as he does still today. You see, Jesus is not observing what's going on here in our church context, Pine Ridge. He's actually in the middle of it. He is intimately concerned for us, as he is for any and every church. This has always been the case for God. We read about this throughout the Old and New Testaments. God is a pattern not just for uh, referring to believers in general, but specifically. 
And from the apostles, uh, from the prophets rather, to the apostles, uh, God by His Spirit moved His leaders to speak to specific people and specific churches. And that's what Jesus is doing here through John. He is standing in the midst of His churches, concerned with each and every one of them individually. But as the context shows, these churches were not doing so well. And so Jesus needed to speak to them. Who, in the midst of persecution, these churches were compromising with the world. And so these churches needed a severe talking to. Remember that as a kid, getting a severe talking to from mom or from dad. Remember that, Bryce, getting a severe talking to? Mom, dad? No, you never had that? No, that's good. Just a direct spanking? That's what happened to you? As kids, we would prefer uh, to get the spanking instead of the lecture because the lecture is drawn out guilt, right? Drawn out guilt, and you just want to get this over with. And now that's not to say that uh, spankings in my house were uh, a walk in the park. No, there was many a wooden spoon that was uh, broken on my backside. And uh, I don't know what we did every Christmas, but we seemed to package up more wooden spoons and give it to my mom for Christmas. Uh, we were like trying to supply her arsenal or something. I don't know exactly what we were doing. But regardless, we preferred, we preferred the spanking, we preferred the wooden spoon to this drawn out lecture. Because it, it felt wrong, it, it felt more dirty. The spanking was over immediately. And Jesus here is not punishing the churches physically. He wants to give them a severe talking to. He's doing it in the most loving way. But he's getting right to the point. More on this in a few minutes. And so as we pick it up here in verse 10, John received this prophecy in kind of like a, a state or a, a state of trance, like a, a trance-like state. It says in verse 10 there, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. <coughs> the notion of being in the spirit is similar to the way in which God was communicating to Old Testament prophets, etc., there's this notion of being caught up in the spirit when God wants to communicate something. It's probably best to understand John uh, in a state whereby uh, all the external uh, stimulus around him, they really became uh, shadows. And he's not asleep, but he's really dialed in now through the spirit to the vision. And so he's now wide open to the communication from the spirit, where visions from Jesus are now ready to be processed and written down. But then there's a detail that's added here that John was uh, receiving these visions on the Lord's day, on the Lord's day. You remember, John, he's on the island of Patmos, he's by himself, he can't meet with the church. But on the Lord's day, this is when he gets the communication. The Lord's day is, of course, being Sunday. It became the Lord's day because that's when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, often referred to also as the first day of the week. The early church then adopted this, uh, this day in particular to meet as a church as a body of believers. It's not that they didn't meet other times as well, but specifically the local church was to meet every Sunday. Acts 20 verse 7, if you're taking notes, says this, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began to speak. This is the pattern. This is the common pattern for the early church. This is when they met on Sunday. And of course, we're still carrying out that tradition here today. So what's the significance of this? Why write it in here? That John's re receiving this 
uh, vision on Sunday, on the Lord's Day? Well, probably because it was the exact time that those seven churches were also meeting. It's the same day that the seven churches were meeting. John's got a communication that he's going to give to them, and it's coming probably even while these churches were meeting. Or maybe, maybe while these churches were meeting. So maybe while uh, Laodicea was singing through Psalm 23 as a church, while they're singing on the mainland, John is getting a vision on the island. Or maybe as the Ephesian church was gathering together at the school of Tyrannus in Ephesus, and the elders about to get up to speak, meanwhile, John is getting a, a message for them. Or maybe Smyrna, as they're taking communion, and as they're about to take in communion, meanwhile, on the island of Patmos, God has something to say to that church. And so this is the timing of which God is giving the message to the churches through John. Now what's curious about these prophetic words to the churches is that they were also given the dirt on the other churches. Let me see if I can explain this to you here from verse 11. It says this, write in a book singular what you see and send it to the churches, plural. Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So it's a singular book that was meant to be given to all the churches. And so as each church were to get this singular book that's coming to them, all the dirt on the other churches is written there for them to see and to read. Laodicea, for example, wouldn't get to what's going on in their church and the specific message to them until chapter 3. But meanwhile, they could read all the other dirt that's going on in the other churches. So what's going on here? Why would Jesus do this? Why let all the other churches know what was going on in the rest of the churches? Why let Smyrna know what's going on in Pergamum? Why let Ephesus know what's going on in Laodicea? A few years ago, there was a movement in the Alliance denomination that embraced a teaching that involved the exorcism of demons out of Christians. Some of you may remember this, and some of you have heard of this. Now, you know the stories in the Bible. Of course, you know the stories of somebody like uh, Mary Magdalene. She got seven demons exorcised out of her, and they became a follower of Jesus. Or you remember the man who had a legion of demons in him, and they got cast out into the pigs. And these two became followers of Jesus after that. And we know those stories. These are secular people who are getting these demons exercised and then, then they become followers of Jesus. That's not what this movement was talking about. It wasn't talking about secular people. It was talking about Christians. Christians where demon exorcism would happen. It was garbage. It was garbage teaching to be sure. But the conferences went on nonetheless. And from what I've heard, they're still going on. So why the attraction? Why the attraction to something like this? You have sinful problems in your life? Well, it could be the demons behind this. And what attraction would that be? Because it's not so much my fault as it is the demons. And I can blame them for what's going on in my life. And some of the Christians that were invited to these conferences were quite concerned about, some of the Christians who were invited to go were concerned about the people who were there. Rightly so. And so some of you actually gave me the material. I found all the slides on the material that was being presented. Uh, another person here invited me to read a book along with them, uh, what was going on, and, and they were quite concerned for these people, and rightly so. Some of you were, <clears throat> again, invited to the conference. We have 
they turn off pricing? Is it coming out? Is it over there yet? Yeah? yeah. Okay. Good. It'll come up here in a minute. So first of all, um, Jesus is not a general observer of his churches. He is in the midst of each one of them. I love that picture of Jesus. He's not somewhere on the sidelines watching what's going on. He's actually in the midst of the lampstands. And individually with each of them as he's individually concerned for them. Secondly, Christian churches should learn from the errors of other churches. We should learn from the errors of other churches. And if you want to speak about those other churches, you speak out of deep concern for them. It needs to be genuine concern for them. Prophecy then can act as a specific word from God to a church addressing their specific context. So uh, what say you, church? What are you, what are you thinking? Your thoughts or comments? What's going on? Yeah,